Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Okay, before we really dive into today's conversation, collectively, I want us all to take a deep breath. Ready? Breathe in for four seconds. Hold it for four seconds. Breathe out. Okay. Now that we got that behind us, I I don't know what that's called, like a breathing exercise or something, but it's in one of my apps and it's supposed to help you manage your anxiety. You guys, we are back for season two, season two of when autumn comes. I am super excited because this is a passion project and I just, I want to continue loving on moms, empowering moms, educating our friends and family about the disabled community and the medical community. And I'm just, I'm so excited we're doing this. Even though it is 9.51 on a Tuesday night and this has to be published tonight before I go to bed. But hey, it is what it is. Now, today you're going to meet Channing. Channing, I know you're listening right now and I know you're ready to throw up because you're about to hear your episode. And here's what everybody needs to know about Channing. Channing opened up with Diane and I in a conversation that I don't think many people would do publicly. Channing openly talked about her anxiety and the trauma and what her trauma has done to her anxiety. She put a lot out there and I, as her friend, as a fellow medical mama, I am so proud and so grateful that she was as vulnerable as she was because I feel like the words she says are things that we can all relate to. I do want to put a little fine print footnote thing here that we do mention several types of therapy in this conversation and, you know, therapy works differently for all people. So I highly recommend that if you are struggling with anxiety, there is nothing wrong with getting help. Talk to somebody, figure out what is the best option for you. And now I am so excited to introduce you to Channing and her daughter, Peyton. And by the way, if you stick around till the end, you can find out about the amazing blankets she's making for her daughter's transplant. And by the way, you can even sign up and apply or whatever the term is, to be a match and donate a kidney to her daughter because her daughter needs a kidney. Okay, guys, here we go. 
Hi guys, and welcome back to When Autumn Comes. This is crazy because we haven't actually done an interview with anyone since like, I mean, before It's been a long time. It's been a really, really long time. It's been a really long time. I was really excited actually. Yeah. I was just excited to see your face. Let's be real. Yeah. (laughs) And And Channing too. Channing's face too. So we are here with Channing, and Channing has a medically complex kiddo just like a bunch of us. Channing, can you tell us a little bit about Princess Peyton, please? Sure. Peyton is 12 years old, diagnosed with cystinosis around 15 months, known to be a terminal illness, but we are on our fourth transplanted patient um, for stem cell for hopefully a cure. I saw your post on Facebook the other day. That That's huge that there yeah. are, that, I mean, to see a cure on the horizon. Can you tell us a little bit about what cystinosis is? It is a rare kidney disease and it starts with your kidneys, then it affects your eyes, and then all the other major organs. Um, basically, like, cysteine cells build up and create, like, crystals. So she's on daily medication for it and has to do eye drops for the entirety of your life or else you can go blind. And so right now you guys are, I mean, I can't believe she's going to be a teenager. I know. How? <laughs> Before we before we dig too much into the medical stuff, can you just tell us like what does she love? Is she I mean, I know she's a princess and that she loves <laughs> Starbucks and all things princessy. Well now she's into makeup. Her we, favorite we is the smoky that. eye. Ooh. Okay. Very fancy. Yeah. Yep. Her favorite's wearing it out in public, so that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> It's so crazy because on one of your hospitalizations in this past year, I remember being like, just cuddle her. And you're like, ha, 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 ha. I was like, funny story with a girl teenager. I know, I know you're anxious and I know she's anxious, but just cuddle. And you were like, ha, 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 ha. If only. Yeah. She's past that stage. I, yeah. But now she now wants dad. Then- she doesn't want mom. Because mm-hmm. mom's too anxious. <laughs> no, man. How does she handle all of this? I mean, is she like a, wa- a warrior where she's like, well, here we go, hospital again? Or is yep. she just like, mom, I don't want to? Or Nope. She's like, can we just go ahead and get this done? She's like, I'm already over it. So I don't know about you, Diane, but I can't grasp the concept of, I mean, having a child that can talk to me, never mind. Be like, yeah, no, let's just do this. Like, Well, and it's amazing because I have an 11-year-old. We just went in for a well check. He's typical. And he was like, Mom, I don't want to get shots. I mean, he, and I was like, dude, I hear you. This is terrible. And I know I, I kind of circled back to our anticipatory like grief or anxiety. I'm like, I know this. the thought of it is terrible. It's going to hurt for all of like five seconds. And all I could think about was all these kids that – do this. And I said to him, I'm like, buddy, I know this is scary, but like the idea of it is way worse than actually going through it because there's a lot of kids that go through way worse stuff. And he was like, I know. I mean, the poor kid had like tears in his eyes. Like he was so anxious, but he goes to the doctor once a year, you know, for his well check. So 
it's not, he's not used to it. That's the hard thing. I think having both a rare kid and a normal kid, you know, I had Peyton first, so that's all I've ever known as a parent is rare disease life. So having a healthy child second, like I don't, I still don't know what that's like because I don't treat him as a healthy child, I guess, because I've always had to take precautions with her. And so I do the same with him. And at some point that sucks for him (laughs) because he's like, why can't I just go skateboard? Like, what are you talking about? But it's because I don't know how to let that part go, even though it does not affect him. Yeah. I want to talk about that more hard for sure. All we, all I've ever known is how to be a rare disease mom. Do you feel like you get down on him more when he's like, mom, I don't want to. And you're like, oh, suck it up. Yeah. Or I compare, which I'm trying to work on. Or, you know, it's it's not fair to him because I'm always like, oh, well, well we can't do this because of your sister. Yeah. We can't go to your friend's birthday party because of your sister. So he gets the short end of the stick, quite frankly, um, mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. She gets the attention, all of the attention, not just by us, by everybody. Because your story is public and people yeah. know everything. And yeah, like it's all about quote unquote Princess Peyton. Yeah. And so like I really make it a point to make him feel special and he's with me 24-7, like literally attached to my hip 24-7. So I keep and I take in the him door to- right now. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I give him, you know, we'll go to the store, just me and him. I'll always ask him first if he wants to go run errands with me, just because even though that's not exciting, he does need that. But it's just hard. It's hard to try to separate the lives, especially when she's like with my parents or, and it's just us, like when we could go do things, we don't. Yeah. It's hard to jump out of the rare life and into normalcy because I don't know what it's like. And your life is your normal. It's just not. (laughs) And it's interesting because as you're talking, you had your rare child first. Meanwhile, Diane had two children that were typical first. And then her last is her rare one. And so, Diane, I'm just wondering, as she's talking, is this stuff that fits your family too? Like, do you feel the same way? Or is it different because your your rare one is the youngest? Um, it's hard to tell. I feel like there are a lot of similarities just when it comes to speaking to making sure that others feel special and your rare child being the center of attention all the time. You know, I feel like I almost am on the other end trying to make up harder with my other kids. And sometimes I question my gosh, am I like ruining them because I they're now thinking that they're the center, going to be the center of everyone's world. Or am I not doing it enough? Um, So that really resonated. I definitely feel as though I do sometimes say like, we, you know, a lot of it is situational where if Sayla's not doing well in terms of like, she's having a meltdown or she's just, it's too loud, then the kids leave. But I think because she has proven to have a decent immune system, I tend to be like, I have to allow these kids to do X, Y, Z until she proves otherwise, because it's not fair. Yeah. I wish I could do that. I know. Me too. I was just thinking the same thing. But I mean, I honestly haven't, I haven't had a situation where 
I haven't had a traumatic situation with her where she's proven me otherwise. Right. So I hope that, and I trust, you know, I hope that I trust that if that time happens that I can find a good balance and healthy balance, but I am not, don't make me out to be this like, Oh, I have such a healthy balance of anxiety and reality because I, we've never been hospitalized for an illness. We've never been, you know, there's never really been any of that. It's all what the doctors say she should like should happen if something, you know, if she were to get sick or something. So yeah, I feel like we may overexpose her for lack of better words, just to keep up on the older two. Says the mom who's sitting here with COVID. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't funny, you guys. I mean, I feel great, but I, I feel for everyone else that has gone through it that may not have felt great. So one of the, we had a couple topics in mind today. The first one is Channing that Peyton is going through the process of a transplant list. She is on a yep. list. You were asking for donors. What what exactly is going on? Where are you guys at in this process? And then for those of us who don't understand, because thank God we haven't had to face what you're facing, what does that look like? We always knew it was going to happen, that she would have to have transplant. That's just what this disease brings for everybody. But about a year ago, two years ago maybe, um, we jumped from like 50% function to 30% function. And, you know, they can stay at function for years. Obviously, dehydration um, contributes to lessening kidney function. Um, And we were in the hospital weekly for dehydration to get fluids because they pee out way more than they take in. I think she was peeing out double what she was taking in. So she was super depleted. About, I'd say a year ago, um, it jumped from that to like 20%. And now we're at 17%. Um, So they listed her since we have a little bit of time. Now, can I interrupt? Can you clarify, is this for a kidney transplant or a stem cell transplant? Kidney transplant. Okay. Yep. Um, So she doesn't qualify for the stem cell um, for a cure just yet. So they listed her on the transplant list, and the goal is to get a living donor. So hundreds of people were calling in, trying to be tested, and within two to four hours of her being listed, they said, we're getting calls left and right. You know, her doctor's being super picky uh, because she's so young, and obviously we want it to last um, as long as possible. So she was listed, hundreds of calls, kept denying them. And these are all people that, like, you shared it on social media, and it got shared. When I looked at it at one point, it was, like, over 200 shares. Yeah. And these were people that some knew you, some didn't, and they were all calling in to try to apply or find out if they were a fit? Yep. So most of them, actually, I didn't know, and I don't know who uh, called in, unless they told me, obviously. We got a call two days after, a week after, something like that, about a living donor that was a match. However, they had certain markers in their blood work that were concerning for the unknown, for Peyton, um, if she were to be transplanted. So we, you know, I was shopping, grocery shopping, and got the call. 
And I'm like, uh, I have to make this decision by myself. My husband's not here. <laughs> like, but I have to know it's a, you know, we have to make a decision. So anyway, the doctor obviously can't tell you to take it or not to take it. Um, so she just kept reiterating, Hey, you know, I just have to tell you that these markers are there. I just have to tell you these markers, like she said it probably 15 times within our 10 minute phone call. Um, so in my mind, that was her saying, don't take this, don't take it. Oh my gosh. That would be like the most terrible thing. Cause I'm sure everything in you is like, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. As you're, you know, picking refried beans off the grocery aisle. But, <laughs> but well, like, I, so I wasn't expecting a call this soon. Um, and I, obviously you don't know how you're going to react when you get the call. Um, it's not anything that you could ever prepare for really. And Peyton was with me. So it was just me and her. And I'm like, uh, okay. I thought it was an automated, you know, reminder about an appointment. Nope. It was the doctor. And so I said, uh, we're going to have to decline. And she goes, okay. And that was the end of the conversation. Do you feel like you can keep your emotions in check and your excitement or the feeling of being let down when stuff, I mean, this is like everything that you had hoped for. I mean, this is not a cure for your child, but obviously would make her life substantially greater. So that's where the anxiety comes in. I'm more scared than I am excited, even though I'm super excited and I know that this is super needed, but my anxiety will not let me be excited about it. I'm just terrified. Can you pinpoint like, are you terrified of the actual surgery? Are you terrified that she, I mean, I'm sure there's, is there a possibility of like her body rejecting it? Are you terrified that, can you pinpoint what it is? Or is it just like an overwhelming feeling of like, I hate our situation and it scares me. I suffer from PTSD from her almost dying a few times. Um, so my mind goes right to there. Every single time mm -hmm. I've been in therapy for, I've done EMDR for it and it has helped extremely, you know, an extreme amount. However, when I'm in the situation, there's no walls to block that out. It just yeah. happens. It just seeps in. So, you know, going through therapy and I decided I've been, you know, I've done every single hospital stay. I can't do this one. So my husband's doing it like for my mental health, I can't do this one. And that's been a very hard thing for me to come to terms with. The transplant, when she gets a transplant, you're not going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. He's going to stay with her in the hospital. I obviously will be there and go and, but I need to come home mm -hmm. and get a break from it every day. I need to be able to leave when I need to leave. When my anxiety ramps up, I need to have an escape. I think that's a beautiful gift that as moms, I think we take on, like, we have to be there. Yeah. We're not a good mom if we can't, like, I know I feel that way where, I mean, simply watching my child get an IV or whatever it is. I'm like, I can't do this. Like even thinking about like a COVID test, I'm like, I can't take her to watch them shove that thing up her nose. It's going to be terrible. You know, it's going to be terrible. Yeah. And I feel guilty. Like I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to say a good enough mom, but you get that guilty feeling of You're I should be the to be one that strong yeah. for them because they're strong to yeah. go through it. But I also think like what a gift to your family that you know yourself well enough because you honor your feelings and your emotions and you have, you're giving them the best of you as opposed to 
your like anxious self that your daughter's like, mom, chill out. She does that (laughs) actually. Um, it's, and the older she gets, the more I've started to step away and let my husband, cause he can remain calm. He was an EMT. He's good at that kind of stuff. And I'm not, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I tend to make things worse now. So, you know, and I've had that talk with her that, you know, daddy's going to be there and I'll be there, but I'm not going to stay. Daddy will stay. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, she's like, okay, thank God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, we've, we've both been traumatized. She handles it way better than I do. It's, it's really interesting hearing you talk about her responses as a preteen or an almost teenager. Like, cause I think about just as our kids age, like how they naturally just need that separation. Our job has been any of our kids to like keep them alive, to make sure like we hover, we have to hover a little bit when they're really small. And I'm listening to you trying to put myself in your shoes as a mom of a quote unquote, typical, typically developing preteen. And it's easy for me, right? Because it's not easy for me, but it's easier because he's just like, what mama, you know? There's nothing that I have to hover over for. Right. I can't imagine having to like kind of do what I'm doing currently. Also knowing that like I have to break myself a little bit away from the feelings that I carry about their diagnosis or their disease or the potentials of the what ifs. Right. Because like right now with Selah, I feel like I can just, I'm her everything. Like she physically needs me to do everything for her. Right. And that gives you a little bit of feeling of control. Whereas now you're like naturally just because of her age, having to peel that control away, you know, like give her her space, but you're also probably trying to find the balance of how do I still manage you and manage your care and manage my emotions based on your diagnosis all while you're like, okay, mom, like, give me a little space. Let me do my eye makeup. And And I'm a control freak as it is. And that's another reason why I've always done the medical stuff. I do the doctor's appointments. I do the everything, everything. And so taking all that on and having to do it by myself, pretty much. I mean, my husband, you know, he still works every time we're in the hospital. Somebody, we got to pay the bills somehow. Um, So it's always, you know, me doing it. And then we have Brayden also. So who's going to care for him? Like, so we have to do that. And it sounds so selfish saying it out loud, but I know it's not. Um, but I've experienced way too much trauma that I am still trying to process through mm-hmm. to be able to take on any more unnecessary trauma yeah. that I don't, that I haven't escaped from. So that's been challenging. Absolutely. I can also imagine the anxiety hits you when you see a text come through or a phone call from the hospital, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong. The understanding I have is that if you had a donor, a, like a live donor or somebody somebody listening whose kidney is perfect for Peyton, you could kind of plan ahead and schedule the procedure and the process. But right now, if you are waiting for a kidney to just magically appear, that is completely out of your control. And they could call you in the middle of the night and say there was a car accident and we have a kidney. Is that correct? Yeah. So that actually happened. We had another donor. We had a deceased donor kidney. But thanks to COVID, we had Mm. to decline it and it was perfect. 
but the rates in the hospital were not great. And her doctor was like, without her being vaccinated, it's not wise. So I had to decline that one. And does your heart break? Every, like, yep. I can't, if, if there was something that I could have done to give Lorelai another year, another 10 years, I can't imagine having to say no. Yep. It was hard. But, you know, at that point, I just have to trust God that (laughs) there's going to be a better match. I I mean, there's really nothing else I I can do, especially when her doctor is, like, strongly suggesting that we wait. But they have to call you when they have a match. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your anxiety paralyzes you, though? So correct me if I'm wrong. Like, what I heard before is that you felt like your anxiety kind of didn't allow you to get excited made you really nervous for having to go through it. Do you feel like then it paralyzes you because you know it's everything that she needs and you maybe should want to happen? But is there a sense of relief then when they have to say, or you have to say like, no, this isn't the one because you don't have to face the situation? Selfishly, yes, for me. But for her, absolutely not. So like I'm like taking on all the emotions of like her and I. Yeah. She's super excited about it. And I've tried to only let her see that side of my feelings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'll tell her that I'm scared and I'm nervous because I'm very open with her. I always have been. And I don't hide anything, especially about her health from her. Um, she's known everything that she could from the time she could understand. So in a sense, yes, there's a little relief, Um, but I honestly, at this point, like, I'm just ready to get it over with. Yeah. This, like, it's almost torture having to wait in the anxiety of waiting, not knowing, like with a living donor, I I think that my anxiety wouldn't be so bad with it because we could plan and I'm a planner. I like to know what's going to happen and I can't do that with a deceased donor. So, and I would imagine that you as all of this is happening too, like you are anticipating that her function level is going down still. Yeah. And that has to, I mean, I girl, no wonder you have anxiety. You know, luckily her doctor knows me and knows how I am and knows my anxiety. And like, look, I don't do medical. Well, I don't, um, even after 12 years of it, I don't do medical situations. Well, I used to have to stand out in the hallway while they gave her an IV or drew labs and let the doctors handle her. I couldn't do it. I want to pause for a second and applaud you because there are so many medical moms who feel like they have to do it. And they, mm-hmm. and I think, I mean, you are brave for even just saying, I need to step outside. Mm-hmm. And I think in our little community, it's all like, you can do it. You be a mama bear, do this, do that. And I think it's, just as huge and just as amazing of you to be like, I know my limitations and, and to know your kid well enough too, that she can be like, I got this mom. Like Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not like she's sitting there going, mom, I need you to hold my hand right now. And you're saying, no, thanks. I mean, she would scream bloody murder and wonder why I couldn't (laughs) be in there when she was younger. Like, but now I can be right beside her and and we'll do it. But Mm -hmm. I still can't look. But I can be right there beside, mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. beside Well, her. and I, um, I have to agree with Susan because I will never forget 
after Sayla was born in the very first procedure we went through, we were at our local children's hospital and she had to get an IV and they had like the first team come in that couldn't get it. The second team. And I'm sitting, my husband, I had to walk out. I was sobbing so hard because I just felt so terrible for her. And I'm sitting in the hallway as she's screaming my three week old baby. And I have to say like to, piggyback on you, Channing, and to all the other moms that are listening that are medical moms or have a fear that they can't do it, I have often felt like, why can't I do it? Like, why do I feel like I would rather have somebody else be there? Do I not have it in me? Do I not? I, I know I care about my child enough, but what I try and put myself in situations of what would I do in this situation and could I handle it? And, you know, obviously we could, but... um Thank you. It's just overload. You're just tapped out. I'm tapped out. Yeah. But thank you for acknowledging that because it does make me feel like I am not alone, you know, and I'm not a bad mom. Yeah. I think that as the years go on and I know that I love my kids, I know that everybody else can see that I, my kids are my entire world. But now that she's older, especially her, um, and she's more self-sufficient. I know that I deserve a break. I need a break. I know that I've suffered and pushed away my anxiety for way too long. And it's not fair to anybody. It's not fair to her, me, my husband, anybody. It's just not. I think this past year I've really um, acknowledged that. And I've had to sit with myself. What are the steps that you felt like you took. So when you're not at therapy, like what do you do on the daily to help yourself work through your anxiety? She knits like a crazy woman. I make blankets, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's just been for a year, but I, I have Advan <laughs> that I, <laughs> that I take when I need to. Um, I've learned techniques and coping skills through therapy that I use and it's really helped, but obviously like other things contribute to the anxiety, like that time of the month and everything. So I can feel myself ramping up and I'm like, kids, I need y'all to just go. <laughs> like I know I'm going to not be that nice. Too much stimulation around my anxiety. I, I already know that about myself. So I just try to stay to myself. My husband knows to stay away. <laughs> I'm listening to you talk and I just think the world of this conversation and you, because I just feel like I said before, there's so much of mama has to keep going. Mama's got to carry this weight. Mama's got to, you know, mama can't drop the ball. And I don't know about y'all's households, but I have a lot of things on my plate all the time. And that's like tasks, but it's also decisions and you get tired of making life or death decisions. And then you get tired of like making a decision on what you're going to watch on Netflix. Right. Everything just piles up. And I feel like our society and our culture basically just says, mom keeps going. Mom is strong. And I applaud you again for being able to be like, I have to step back and take care of myself too. Because I think that's just dismissed so much. And to know, okay, well, I have found something that, you know, 
You have found knitting. I have found painting, <laughs> oddly enough. We're going to start a little crafter's market here, but um, Diane's not going to be part of the crafter's market. She's not super crafty. Um, but I'm not either. No, I'm not crafty. <laughs> but to find an activity or a thing, whether that's crafting or walking or I, one other mom said to me last week that she's like, yeah, you know, your, your painting reminds me. She's like, I don't tell many people this, but I really love music and I like write music. I'm like, that's beautiful. She's like, that's what gets me through. So I think finding something and being okay too about it's okay to take meds. I started antidepressants a week into Benji's life. I don't know how I made it through three years of Lorelai's life without it. I feel like it's not discussed enough and it's not something that it's frowned upon really. It is. And you're not strong enough to deal with it. Yep. I have to say too, you being able to show your kids how you handle the stressors. Yeah. And the stressors of life. Like I just heard somebody say something last night that, you know, a lot of times as parents, we want to pave the roads for our kids. And that's not, we can't do that, right? And they said, instead, let's let's prepare our kids for the road because we are not going to be able to control the potholes and the divots and the abrupt turns. Like we need to, we need to try and prepare these kids for their own road instead of trying to pave it for them. And I think it's such a beautiful gift to your kids, whether they manage their stressors in life the same way you do and need to take the same steps you do. They also watch their mom do what she needed to do to make sure that everyone's mental health and everyone had stability in the house of some sort. So, I mean, again, props to you for showing your kids how to do things in a healthy way as opposed to covering it up and being like, hey, Peyton, I know you're going to feel stressed, but look at me like I have it all together. And then she's probably going to question, well, mom, how am I supposed to do this? Because I just watched you have it all together all the time, you know, instead of like, no, my mom didn't have it all together because nobody in this life does. And this is what she did for herself. So I need to make sure I take care of myself, you know. See, I'm not one of those to not let my kids see me cry. I feel like a lot of, you know, when I first became a parent, that was one of the things that I was told um, is to not let my kids see me cry. And so for the longest time I did that. And now, (laughs) bless their hearts. (laughs) I just, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to go hide in a bathroom if I have to cry. I'm just going to cry. And, you know, especially Brayden, he's a mama's boy. So he's the first one over to me, gives me a hug, tell me it's okay, which kind of sucks that your kid has to tell you it's okay, you know. Because you're the parent. However, it is what it is. It's a beautiful showing of empathy, I think. I want him to know compassion. And Mm -hmm. life's hard, man. You're not just crying and being like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, you're explaining why you're feeling this way. Like, your children understand that you have... But... but (laughs) (laughs) Your your children understand that you do have anxiety, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not like you're hiding what's going on. Right. And Peyton has it too, which sucks. But so obviously I have to wonder, did I bring that on for her? Um, But it is what it is. If there's a mom listening who is struggling with anxiety and she's kind of where you were a year or two ago, 
before you really started working on this, what, what would you tell her? Number one, it's okay to not be okay. And number two, go see a therapist. (laughs) You know, and I went through, I don't know, 10 to 15 therapists and nobody would help me. Nobody took the time. They wanted to talk about other stuff um, of why I could be anxious. And I'm like, no, pretty sure my anxiety is because of all that we've been through. Um, I just need ways to help manage it. Well, read a book or here's some novels you can read. And I'm like, nope, that's not going to help me. Reading's not going to help me. Because I have time for that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I forgot how to read in like, I don't know, when I had a baby. (laughs) Right. So I, you know, found this therapist and thank God she, I went in and I said, this is what I want to try. I looked for a therapist that did the EMDR. I said, I'm really coming here because I want to try this. Like, I don't want to try anything else right now. I want to do this. And she was like, all right. I mean, it took like four sessions, five sessions. I do know of several several other moms that have done this. And they said it. It's it incredible. Really helped. Yeah, they said <laughs> it really helped them. And we are not therapists. We're not here to tell people to do one thing or another. Nope. But I, I think talking to professionals and learning about different options is probably a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Because what may help you may be completely different for somebody else, but to just to know that these things exist and that you can go in and say, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Can you explain this to me?" Yeah. So, if somebody is listening right now and they are like, "Hey, I want to find out if I could donate a kidney for Peyton," or "I want to find out if I can donate for anybody," what does a person do, and how can they? Because the reason this started is when Lorelai passed, I was like, I have to help you help your kid. <laughs> if there was anything <laughs> that anybody could have done to help me keep Lorelai longer, I would have wanted them to do it. And I cannot give my kidney. So I can give you a platform right now to tell the world how they could possibly help your daughter. So they go to Santera's website. And we'll put all the links you can send it to me. We'll Thank put you. them all in the notes. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about that. Um, go to the website. You'll enter some health background info um, and put a recipient, which would be Peyton, obviously. And then you submit that. And then if that part, it's like really basic questions. Um, and if that health screening passes, then they ask for more in-depth questions. And then if that passes, you go to meet with, or you go for labs. And if that passes, you meet with the transplant team um, for like a presentation kind of thing, like a class. They give Um, you a free TV. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say (laughs) t-shirt. No, you know, like those timeshare, those timeshare tales where they're like, oh, yes, they're the worst. We'll give you a television. Um, So, yeah, and then they go from there. I have two things to ask you. One is the question everybody gets. But before that, tell us a little bit about Cozy's for a Cure. 
cozies for a cure is my blanket hobby. I'll say hobby that I started just for fun. And then people were interested in seeing the blankets and wanting to know how to buy one. And I wasn't going to do any of that. You know, I wasn't going to sell them or anything. And then I was like, well, I can sell these and raise money for her transplant fund. You know, my husband works two jobs. I am full time and still trying to make ends meet with me having to take off work and, you know, still trying to make do. Um, and so started selling them. And uh, so we wouldn't have to stress financially with Peyton wants something in the hospital. She wants me to order her food. I don't want to have to look at the bank account and wonder, can we afford this? Like, I know we would be taken care of by friends and family. I don't want to have to rely on other people if I can help it, especially during COVID. Like, that's not, we don't want any handouts or anything. You know what I mean? So started selling them and it grew into something that I still like pinch myself. I'm like, holy crap, I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) But it's a good kind of overwhelm. How many blankets have you made? Well over 200 in a year. It also is kind of, I would imagine the repetition of, so I will describe these blankets because I have two of them. They are like luxury yarn. I don't know what the word, is it yarn? Yeah. Okay. And they're like those chunky blankets. They're so cozy. They're so warm. I have one on my couch and I have one on Lorelai's bed. And are they hand, you know, those hand knitted? hand making yeah. these. Like and with so, your hands as like yeah. knitting needles. Yes. Is... Yep. Is the pattern, like for me, painting, I love throwing paint at a canvas. I have found that like throwing, literally throwing paint at a canvas, I love it. It makes my heart happy because it just makes something. Does making this help your anxiety? Oh, yeah. Just the repetition and the, yeah. That's why I keep doing it. So when I'm feeling really anxious, like yesterday, I told my girlfriends at work, I said, I'm super anxious today. All I want to go do is make a blanket. And I was like, but we're not slow at work, so I can't. <laughs> so so that's hard to not be able to, when I really need to, to jump in and do it. So I've been making three a night after work um, for the past week, probably because I have so many orders. You know, good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we will include the link for people to also check that out because... I don't think I'll ever stop, to be quite honest. <laughs> well, and, you know, like once... I just, I, I visually see you when Peyton's like going in for transplant surgery, you're going to be like sitting in the waiting room. Like, like. <laughs> who needs a blanket? I got another one. <laughs> who needs another blanket? You're going to be like every parent in the waiting room is going to be very, you get a blanket. Day. You get a blanket. <laughs> like, Give oh, me bro. an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Channing, at the end of every episode, we ask all of our guests one simple, not so simple question. What gives you hope? Oh, God. Mm. Peyton. (laughs) Um, Her strength. That's the only reason I get through anything. People say, you know, she gets her strength from me, but I don't... That's not true. I get mine from her. She gives me hope. And that occurs on the horizon. 
Well, we appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. And again, I applaud you for being so open and honest about everything you're going through because so many of us can relate and have just never felt comfortable talking about that. So thank you very much. Thank you, Channing. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm grateful that she was able to take some time. I... What you guys didn't see is she was multitasking the whole time and actually logged into her work computer working while she was talking to us. And I think that that's just a prime example of what we are all doing all the freaking time. Mm -hmm. I mean, between the stress and the anxiety and, you know, different situation here, but I, I feel the same way she feels, you know, and you don't realize I've said a lot over the last four or five months, I don't think I, you know, Lorelai was five and a half when she passed and I didn't take time to figure out all of the trauma that I was going through in the moment. And now I'm struggling with the grief and the trauma. And I, I just, I applaud her so much. I know, I know she has really bad days because I know her personally and I know she has bad days. I know she has good days, but bravo mama for putting yourself first when so often we can't. And putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, like you said enough, because there were so many things that she said that resonated with me personally. And it just, your reality is Mm -hmm. your reality. And I always tend to think everybody else is able to handle things at a higher level and are a little bit stronger than, than I I am. I agree. Yeah, And it's easy to compare yourself to how they do that. And so for her to say, I have to step out of the room when my child is getting something, you know, an IV or something like that seriously was one of the most comforting things because I didn't realize that that hung over my head, that that was something that's really hard for me. The the thought of it brings anxiety to me. So thank you, Channing. I am sure that there are going to be many moms and dads that really are going to be moved by your story. So thanks for your vulnerability. This is Susan, and I am going to go. I don't know. Guys, (laughs) I just looked over at my water cup. Diane has made me a water drinker. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go refill my water cup. How much better do you feel? When I remember to drink water, I feel great. Awesome. Yeah. This is Diane. Hi, I have to go check on my kids because they're downstairs. No, can I do that? This is Diane. I have to go turn my hoodie around because it's on back. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, it is. I was really hoping you were going to say that. And since you didn't, I had to throw it in for you. I forgot about it. Yep, that was a good one. Okay. Well, everyone have a fabulous day. Bye, guys. Hey, y'all, just a quick reminder that if you look in the show notes, you can get information on Channing's Cozies for a Cure and information on how you could possibly be a donor for Peyton. Also, if you're new here, you can join us in the When Autumn Comes Society. It is a place for moms, dads, caregivers, nurses, uncles, mailmen, grocery store clerks, um, zookeepers. We, we take everybody. You are all welcome. We talk a lot about being medical moms and 
It's a place for the medical moms, but it's also a place for all the people who love them. So if you want to be part of a supportive, fun community, please join us. And that's all I got. Oh, that's on Facebook. Did I say that? Facebook, When Autumn Comes Society. And most podcasts disclose this at the end. So I'm here to tell you this podcast is produced, created, and directed. Do we Are we directing anything, Diane? Directed by us. Um, I do all of the the stuff and we all talk and we are here because of amazing moms and stories. And let's be real. We are here because of our tiny humans. Okay, guys, catch you next week at 4am. No, catch you on Friday at 4am. See you Friday.